Welcome, everybody, to We Need to Talk, a podcast out of the Well Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. We are currently in a series called Origins, where we're discussing the book of Genesis and how the truth of the book of Genesis affects our lives as Christ followers. And so week one, we talked about how do we read the book of Genesis? And then in week two, we talked about uh, the truth about creation and the creation narrative. And then this last week, we talked about the truth of humanity. And so I am joined today by our other hosts, Pastor Meredith Dancos. Hello, everyone. Pastor Ashley Engel. Hi. And Pastor Steve Dancos. Hello. And so Steve, you, you taught this weekend on what it means to be human and what our humanity means to us. And so if you could just give us a quick overview of our sermon and where we're coming from for today's questions. Sure. Well, today, we're going to talk a lot about the truth about humanity, and what I covered on Sunday was, what does it mean to be created in God's image? And it's not always what we've been taught it is, and looking at Genesis, it tells us what it is. And we see three things followed by a fourth in the New Testament, but the three things are that we are created to govern, and we're created to govern not how we would like to govern, but like how God governs. So we're created to govern like God. Secondly, we are essentially communal, like God. And thirdly, that we are foundationally good, like God. And then, of course, knowing that uh, our image is broken and not what it's meant to be, um, that Jesus restores what is broken by God becoming human. And so, spoke in depth about each of those three things, as well as went into Genesis 2, and the creation of Ha-Adam, the human, because in Genesis 1 we have Adam, male and female, plural, so Adam is in humanity, and then in Genesis 2 we have Ha-Adam is created, and then from the human we are, we get man and woman, and so it took us through that, and that was really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Any, mm -hmm. any thoughts, any revelations mm -hmm. for people this weekend? I agree, Steve. I think the thing that struck most of our people here was the study of the original language and just the, the light that that can shine on this passage. I think that was really helpful for people. It's not always something you get in Sunday school. Yeah. Mm. yeah you made a good distinction that, that I've heard you say before, but it just struck me uh, new on Sunday where you talked about we're not created as individuals, we're created as persons. And that, you know, to be a person, to be made in the image of God is communal by nature. As you said, like we're communal as God is communal. And that, like, yes, we have uh, individual personalities, but none of that is made by ourselves. It's always made in community. So that idea of person versus simply individual, mm -hmm. I really liked that mm -hmm. distinction. Yeah. An individual is defined by separation from others while a person is defined by relationships with others. Yeah. Yeah. So well, and I think that's, yeah, it's a helpful perspective, especially for the American evangelical church where so much of our faith is individualized and individual sin, and we neglect that kind of universal sin, that cosmic connection between us. And, and so it was helpful. And I, I do want to, I'll say a quick shout out to our people as well, because it's always a little bit of a risk when we do deep dives like this and we talk about the language and we just get real granular in the text that like, you know, a lot of places people would just go like, all right, I'm gonna check out, you know, come back to me when you guys talk about a felt needs series or something like that. But like mm -hmm. our, our church and the listeners of this podcast are really like digging in with us and they're asking such great questions, like really fantastic questions. So let's, let's dive into our questions, but shout out to all of you who are 
continuing to step in and ask questions because it's a lot of fun for us. Uh, so this, this first question, they said, do you believe that Adam and Eve actually existed or were they a metaphor for the larger narrative being communicated through Genesis? Um, and then Steve, on Sunday you said that we're to read Genesis 2 as if Adam and Eve are real historical people. So like, why is that important? Yeah, we're not supposed to read it doubting the story at any point, but like we talked about before, it's not a history textbook. So the point isn't that they are historical people either. So I left it open to people to believe whether or not they're historical people. But either way, the importance is that they are archetypes for humanity, for male and female throughout the whole rest of scripture. They're theologically crucial. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a tricky one in yeah. terms of answering are they historical people. We're not able to scientifically answer that. And as a matter of faith, that is... I think debatable, but um, we're certainly not supposed to get hung up on doubting it. Well, yeah, I mean, we see especially Paul draw on the truth of this story with Adam and Eve in a way that helps make sense of Christ, and that's so essential. So us sitting here doubting, like, well, are they even real? Scripture doesn't, that's not the question that Scripture is inviting us to ask. Scripture is saying, Adam... We're supposed to read as if the story with Adam is telling us the truth that then points to the reality of Christ. Like Romans mm -hmm. 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sin. You know, and then he goes on to say uh, that you know, uh, death has reigned from the time of Adam to Moses. And then he says just because it, you know, just like sin entered through one man, so does life and life eternal and, and salvation mm -hmm. enter through another man. And, and Paul compares uh, the, in, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians uh, 5, he compares the difference between Jesus and Adam. He says, Adam came from the earth, the, the, the one who brings salvation came from heaven. And so he says, like, all die through Adam, all will mm -hmm. live through Christ. So the story and the significance of Adam and Eve is meant to inform us of the reality of sin and help point to the necessity of Christ. So again, yeah. when we read it with modern eyes, like, well, how are they even real? You're like, well, you're missing the point of what scripture is pointing to. But I understand because if you say, well, if Adam isn't real, then does that then make us question if Christ mm -hmm. is real? But again, we have to come back to Genesis is a different genre right. than the gospels. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think for me, I come from a teaching background, a literature teaching background, and so for me, you know, the concept of archetype and metaphor, I mean, these are things that I'm familiar with, I'm comfortable with, and so for me, the rest of scripture certainly doesn't crumble if Adam and Eve were not actual historical people, uh, but I know for some people, that's a really big deal, and yeah. um, it's it's certainly not a salvific issue, um, and so I, I believe that we could hold different convictions about that. For me personally, based on my uh, literature background and my understanding of, of the text, I felt less crazy when the possibility even was presented to me, in, you know, that mm -hmm. Adam and Eve were possibly not historical people, yeah. I, but I'm completely open that they might be, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm okay. sympathetic to people who feel like they have to be historical for the archetype to work. Sure. Um, I'm not personally there, but I understand that line yeah. of reasoning. I mean, Paul 
when he, in First Corinthians and Romans, certainly isn't wondering if Adam and Eve are historical people, but no one got to ask him, right. if, yeah. you know, so, or he didn't really say, yeah. but it's, a, it's kind of assumed that he's treating it like yeah. they're historical people, but mm -hmm. what we know for sure is in Paul's mind is that he's treating them as archetypes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, yeah, for people who, who do get hung up on that, when you come to understand Adam and Eve as, as literal, you know, the first people, it starts to, you start to ask different questions, and someone even wrote in about this, of asking about incest. Like, if, if they are the, you know, first two physical people, does that mean that the world was populated through incest? And it feels like the Old Testament talks a lot about incest and that it's bad. And so where, how do we reconcile those things? So anybody have any thoughts on that? Well, I just think, again, we are reading it too narrowly because when you get to um, Cain and Abel, which we'll talk about in, in two weeks, uh, you know, Cain is worried that these people are going to kill him. And you're like, who there's three people left right yeah. now. Right. It's like your parents and <laughs> you. Like so, who are Is we worried? Yeah, who are we worried about? Um, and and then he goes and establishes a human city, like the first city. So we yeah. Genesis just that? isn't asking us to believe that. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not that's not the the story that it's putting forward. It is telling us how humanity, God's intention for humanity, and how humanity has chosen its own way, chosen to be God. And, and so, you know, to me, again, I'm not someone who struggles with the scientific reading or the literal reading. We're meant, I read it as, like, okay, Adam and Eve, this is, this is the story that frames my understanding of how the world has worked. Mm -hmm. And that would be the same for Paul and, the, yeah. and, the, and those that Paul is writing to. This story is foundational for understanding how humanity has arrived mm -hmm. where it is, how sin entered into the world that that humanity was deceived that there is a cosmic reality that there is a battle that's far bigger than we could understand and there are forces that are actively working against god recruiting humanity to work against god's good and, and corrupting humanity and so therefore like that narrative is the thing that we're called to let shape our mind and our imagination our mm -hmm. understanding and so this idea of was the was human population brought forth through incest. I mean, that's the only option if you start reading it literally, but even the story itself doesn't ask There's that of you. There's gaps that yeah. you can't account for, yeah. yeah. I think going back to week one, and we'll have to maybe remember this every week, is the for the pre-modern people who um, were inspired to write our Bibles and who were the original audience of it, the question was always not, did these events literally happen in Genesis? And if yes, then it's true, and if no, then it's not. It is, they assumed it was true, and then said, what truths do these events convey? Yeah. And the scientificness of the history, biology, geography was not a question. Yeah, yeah. it's that, it's not mm -hmm. history, it's not myth, it's proclamation. I keep coming back to that. Like, mm -hmm. it's proclamation, it's proclaiming what's true about God, true about humanity, God's intention. And we, I think when we see the truth that Genesis is trying to tell us, that is consistent throughout scripture, and that is yeah. that we right. can yes. see throughout humanity. Yeah. All right, this, uh, this next question, I love this question because it's a question I've never thought of, and then it made me think of, and now I'd like to hear you guys answer it. Uh, they said, are, are humans unique in their role as God's image bearers, or do any of the more glorious creatures such as angels 
also bear God's image? And if not, what are the cosmic implications? Hmm. That's a good question. That's a really great question. (laughs) All I can think of is that we know that Scripture tells us we're made a little lower than the angels, which Mm -hmm. is sort of the New Testament corollary to the Old Testament Elohim, which is the heavenly beings, the gods. Um, We're not told if they're made in God's image, but they certainly could be in some way. But I don't think we know. You start to get into, you know, the revelation description of some of them. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, I don't know. Uh." Well, and then, like, we're not going to cover it too much in this series on a Sunday morning. But, you know, pretty soon we're going to see the Nephilim show up in Genesis. It's going to get weird. It gets so weird. You're like, I don't know. There's, like, weird subhuman angel demon people. And, you know, like, later when they're going into the promised land, they're like, oh, they're the sons of the Nephilim are there. Like, yeah. you know, so I, what we know is that when angels show up, they can look human, but also scary, you know, like they're, they are like intimidating and, um, but we just don't, we don't know. And, and scripture just doesn't think it's that important to, for us to understand the nature of angels other than that they're spiritual beings you know, angel means messenger, and so they, they, those who have chosen not to rebel against God, because scripture talks about those who have rebelled against God, but those who have chosen not to rebel against God are working in God's purposes. Um, you know, we've got weird things even in the book of Acts, where it's like Peter's angel is there, and you're like, I don't know what's going on. So there's a but lot of weird. You guys didn't get your angel? <laughs> no, I haven't met my angel. I don't met yours. Mine. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, and there's scripture to, or scripture, scholarship rather, to support both. I mean, if you dig into this, some people say, absolutely, they're made in the image of God, and then others are like, well, scripture doesn't really tell us. So, I don't know. Yeah, so it's just not something go. we're supposed to be as concerned about. I mean, even like if we, this is so angel, but angels makes people make people really weird. Yeah. Like people get real weird. So I did a whole, we did a whole sermon series on the book of Hebrews and I had the passage on angels and like entertaining angels and like, you know, that Christ is not an angel. And um, <laughs> I hear that over there. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, and so my whole point of the sermon was, if people are writing books about angels or telling you like to search for angels or be concerned about angels, that's the exact opposite thing of what the book of Hebrews is telling you to do. And literally the very next day on my desk was someone saying, I thought you'd be really interested in this. And it's a book about angels. And I'm like, adventures and missing the point. Like, no. so scripture is just telling us we should, we, we can believe in them. Like they are present. I mean, that's, we can entertain angels unbeknownst to us. And I know people who have, had encounters where they are convinced like that was an angel who Same. helped us there, mm-hmm. right? Like that is someone. Or just a messenger. Yeah, like like Steve, I mean, Steve just had a really weird, I won't, we won't go into it, but a really weird moment in Sprouts like a few <laughs> weeks ago. And I'm like, that was an angel. I didn't see that guy. Like it was so bizarre. And so people have had weird interactions. Or Steve's losing it. Or Steve's losing it. it. He's getting hand. a little senile. <laughs> um, he's going to be 44 next month. So, you know, old guy over there. Um, but scripture just tells us we're not to be so concerned about that. And we just don't really know what we do know is that we are made in the image of God and and that there's parts of, I cannot remember the passage for the life of me right now. I'm pretty sure it's Paul who says that the mystery, like there's so many mysteries that have not been revealed to us, but the things that we need to know God has revealed to us. And so that's what we have to deal with and say, the world is far more mysterious than we could possibly understand, but 
God has made clear what's most important. Yeah, like, yeah, quit worrying about angels. Like, why don't you just worry about maybe, like, not being an absolute jerk to your waiter on Sunday afternoon. Like, all right, let's start there, okay? And when you guys get that down, maybe we'll talk about angels and all of that. So, uh, you know, <laughs> like, like, Matt, listen, Matt always here. brings it back down but, to earth. You know, that's yeah. where we're at. Like, guys, how about this? You know uh, why? Because your waitress could be an angel. Exactly. Look at that. You there know, we for go. The, whatever they you've entertaining, done. The angel is entertaining you. That's what maybe I'm saying. Even. Yeah. There we go. Angels uh, don't, don't have wings, by the way. Not that we know of, it's, but they might have a, a lot time. of eyes. You're telling me that they're not just eternal children with wings? Like Ooh, Cupid? Yeah. Cherubs? No. We are, cherubs, we are recording well, on Valentine's well, Day. Well, I think so. the cherubim have wings, but... Yeah, we don't know. See, we, see it's all stuff that... Join us yeah, for the next the, episode. The Bible Join actually tells us... Angels. Yeah. Send us all your angel questions. <laughs> yeah. We're not supposed to be all that concerned with all this stuff, but people can't help it. Neither can yeah. we. And I get it. I get but curious, we do know that... We but coming know. back to this question, though, we do know that... Well, we don't know if they bear God's image. We know that those who are still aligned with God's purposes are bringing forth God's message and bringing forth God's mm-hmm. kingdom and they're to aid God's agenda. So I think there there's something pretty amazing about that and that they are, we are a little lower than the angels. So there's something about the angels being even closer to God. So, yeah. and that they're created. So I think they're, you know, that's why scholarship does have this debate and it, uh, they could be, you know, I don't know why they wouldn't be, but we just don't know. Yeah. At the end of the day, there is not a solid answer we could give. So nope. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, all right. So this next question, they said, uh, Steve, Steve said, God's first word about humans was that we are good. Um, and I love how he contrasted that with total depravity. So can you summarize what you mean by total depravity and maybe touch on irresistible versus prevenient grace? And how does knowing that God created me as good affect the way that I live and the choices that I should make? So so describe those two types of grace. Yeah. Like what are they talking about with irresistible? What's total depravity? What is that? Yeah. Total depravity is the view that uh, there is nothing good about humanity at all um nothing good about you nothing good about me the only goodness that can be in us is god in us so it's god is good alone and then if i do anything good if there's anything good about me then it's not me it's god so Mm -hmm. and then irresistible grace and prevenient grace is related, I think, in that. Well, irresistible right. grace mm-hmm. would mm-hmm. be this sense, when we talk about total depravity, then there's this sense of uh, it comes into the elect and that God had and predestination and that there, God has selected a certain amount of people that they will accept God's grace, no matter it's irresistible, and so no matter yeah. though they are totally they they are in total depravity, God's grace is mm-hmm. so irresistible that will overcome their depravity because they've been selected for that. Well, it's yeah. So if total depravity aligns with the idea of irresistible grace, that you you can't choose God, but God can choose God for you. Yeah, and it's and yeah. you can't you can't it's resist like it, right? Like lottery you, system. 
Yeah, if God has yeah. chosen you, that then you God will get his way because God's grace is irresistible. But that the problem with that is that then and assumes... if God has not chosen you, you cannot choose God either. Yes, and, and so that, that sense is then, oh, if God's grace is irresistible and will overcome your depravity, then part of that breaks down where, well, then God's grace is not available to those that God does not choose to give his irresistible grace to. God's grace is limited to those that he has selected. If you start to take that to its logical conclusion, which again, we, we do not see that throughout scripture. So Steve, do you want to just define prevenient grace? It's grace that, uh, prevenient just means preceding or, or prior so that the idea is that the Holy Spirit works in us and works with us to be able to receive God, mm -hmm. receive the Holy Spirit, and to accept Jesus. So, and in that yeah. sense, we still have the free choice. It's We're not being coerced, mm -hmm. but it's still a response to what God has done first. Yeah, yeah. And that would be the more... Arminian view or the more um, free will free will worldview or the yeah. war the the conflict spiritual warfare worldview versus the blueprint predestination worldview so these are yeah and so we would land here at the well in the prevenient grace that we don't believe that God has pre-selected uh, a few people that will there they get to go to heaven and you don't have a choice we don't actually even believe in like the concept of total depravity and that there's nothing good in you that that we just don't see because Jesus is fully human. And yeah. so if you're fully human, uh, then what he shows is actually humanity is the starting point. It goes back to what Ashley said last week is good. That's our starting. point. Yeah. It's very good. And so when we know that, then we can say sin has corrupted something that is good, but it doesn't mean that all the goodness is good gone mm -hmm. and that God's goodness is is so ingrained in who we are that it that it continues to show up but it's marred mm -hmm. you know and now I go like as soon as I read this question I started thinking about Acts 17 where Paul is in Athens and uh, he is kind of there by himself and he's walking around and he's seeing all these idols you know all these uh, you know altars to altars mm. to, to these gods and he's just getting more and more like worked up and upset and then he starts talking and people are like what is this babbler saying and they bring they bring him before the council and uh, it's one of my favorite passages because he says you know so so Paul standing before the council this is Acts 17 22 addressed them as follows. He says, men of Athens, I noticed that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines and one of your altars had this inscription on it to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. And then he goes on, he says, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. And since, the, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth, and he decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. And then he says this, his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and exist. And then he's drawing on one of his his poet, they're poets, and he says, you know, we are his, his offspring. And so Paul gives this image of God is very close. He's not far, but as he set up all these signs that we might start to grasp after him, almost like in the dark that we would seek to find, seek in order mm -hmm. to find. And so unless we think God is very cruel and, you know, has set up a world where he's chosen to blind 
people of his own creation just because, you know, because he's so holy that he's, you know, so mm -hmm. perfect that it doesn't matter. Uh, what we, I, I don't think that's what we see. I think what Paul continues to attest to is God's grace is evident. We see that in Romans as well. God's grace is so evident. And, and so when we don't turn towards him, it's, there's a stubbornness in ourselves, mm -hmm. but God has set up the world that mm -hmm. we would seek him. Yeah. One thing I, I said was that it's not that we're totally depraved. It's that we're totally enslaved I loved that. to mm -hmm. depravity. So there, it's, we're, you know, functionally, it might look the same that we, we, yeah. obviously we, something we, is very both wrong. Sides, very both wrong. sides agree <laughs> that something is very wrong and Jesus saves us yeah. from it. But um, it's still it's still quite a big difference in how we view humanity and whether you take Genesis one and being created good in the image of God um, seriously yeah. mm -hmm. or not. That our, God's first word about you, while it's not the last word, not the final word, and you have a lot of say in what the final word is. That God's first word about you is that you are good. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And I, I gave the communion meditation this week, and what kept coming up for me was humanity has tremendous potential for good, and that mm -hmm. comes back to God's image uh, being in all of us, you know, communally. And we also have, because we are enslaved to sin, tremendous potential for evil, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a there's a big distinction there. I think. In Genesis, we see the dignity that God bestows on humanity, and this this concept of total depravity has never really squared for me yeah. <laughs> with uh, the Genesis narrative. So. Well, we and we just don't see Jesus operating out of that. Right. We don't yeah. see him walking around and be like, "You're a sinner, and you're a sinner, and you're a sinner." Like he he draws out the dignity of people. Yeah. He restores dignity. He calls you know the woman who the hemorrhaging woman. He turns and he calls her daughter. You know and uh, Zacchaeus. He looks him in the eye and calls him by his name and sits at his table. He eats with sinners and tax collectors. We don't mm -hmm. see him railing against how terrible people are, but he does say like go and sin no more. Yeah. He doesn't deny the capacity for evil mm -hmm. or in the in the problem of sin, but that doesn't define humanity for him yeah. and so i just it it just doesn't mm -hmm. ring true for me i just love what you said earlier about how jesus himself is fully human he calls himself the fully human one with you know the son of humanity and how can he take on essential humanity and redeem it if there is nothing redeemable redeemable or that can that god can even touch yeah well yeah even That's you were good. saying like mm -hmm. you know if it's that God only loves the image of God in us. Steve and I were yeah. talking about this. It'd be like saying you had a child and the only re the only thing you love about your child is that they look like you. Yeah. Like yeah. I like all my features in you. And you're like, that is It is real my gross. favorite part of when people compliment my children. Like, mm -hmm. oh, he's so cute. And they'll be like, oh, he looks just like you. And I'm like, hey, that's yeah. me. Yeah. You said you're I'm like, cute. That's a, you're like, that's me. That's the only reason why I had yeah. children was so that everybody would compliment mm -hmm. yeah. me. Yeah. You know, you're like, that's how just. how good I look. Yeah. I think if that, if we think that's gross on a parent, a human parent, where Jesus says, if you who are like corrupted and infected by sin know how to give good gifts to your children, like yeah. how much more does God know? Like, if we think it's gross that a parent would act that way, then how much more gross would it be for a God to act yeah, that way? And yeah. then we do all these mental backflips to be like, but God is so good and sovereign. And you're like, but it's but just not who... But you and yeah, you're also terrible. It's just not who we see. It's not how we see Jesus operate in the world. I yeah. think, you know, I do think in Scripture we see, like, when I contrast us to God, the distance between God's goodness and ours is 
immense, yeah. it's eternal. But then when you make that a hard philosophical rule that there is nothing good at all in humanity, then I think you're missing the point. And like that parent I said in the sermon that like, if God only loves God in you, then God only just doesn't God. love you. Yeah, God only yeah. loves God. Yeah. And you're and like, that's so, a selfish and, God. Yeah, so God is, by definition, selfish and yeah. not loving. Or we just have to redefine loving as pure selfishness and start living yeah. that way. So. I, uh, <laughs> a quick image for our parents mm-hmm. out there is that what I was imagining as you were talking about Jesus, you know, and, and being fully God and fully man, uh, like fully human, is it like he's got fully God, good, and then fully man, and he's like Forky from Toy Story 4, and it's just, <laughs> I'm trash. Like, that's it. Like, that's it. There's nothing redeemable. He's just trash. And, uh, you know, but it's only God and, and that he loves God. Yeah, we just we just don't yeah we don't see that and Jesus defines love for us, which is to lay down your life for someone else. And why would you do that if they were just depraved yeah. and terrible and there's nothing redeemable? Because they would say even now, like those who hold to total depravity would say, like it is only God and me that's good. There's like yeah. God isn't necessarily even transforming me into a better version of me. It's just. Mm. It's just God. And, and, and the goal is ultimately that there will be none of you left. Or it's, even, yeah, and yeah. there's even mental backflips to say, like when people acknowledge good that people who don't believe in God have done, they're like, well, it's God in them. They just don't even know that that's God yeah. in them. And you're like, okay, well, this feels like a argument that we can't yeah. have. I mean, yeah. there's some truth to it, but it's, yeah. it's just so over the top. It's a very hopeless mm-hmm. uh I think way oh, to yeah. view people and oh, our yeah. relationship to God. Yeah, I think it, it comes down to, and we've said this before in previous seasons, but uh, when it comes down to brass tacks, it comes down to whether or not we feel like, does God always get God's way? Has God set, chosen to set up a world where he sometimes doesn't get his way and sometimes we get ours instead? And yeah. I think the people who are into the doctrine of total depravity, um, they just really philosophically can't go to them. Sovereignty, so, the sovereignty of God means that God, no matter what, Always in everyone and in, every, in, in everything, no matter yeah. what's happening, no matter how bad it is in the world, it is God getting what God wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next week, we're going to be talking about this coming Sunday about the truth about sin. And even in this, in this you know, our, our, our origin story, we see God giving humanity the dignity of a choice. Yeah. Yes. And for me, I always come back to that. Like God gives us the choice. Yeah. Yeah. And he had to set up a world in which we would have choices for that to be possible. Right. Like it and just, you can choose the one choice that God gave you if you're going from this view, I guess. Well, yeah, because that's where like the, the real challenge for those who hold to total depravity and irresistible grace is that it somehow threatens the sovereignty of God. Yeah. You know, that God, that you could choose against God somehow threatens God's holiness, you know, that God's power. And the truth is what we try to, we come back to it and we say it over and over again here at the well because we have to keep hearing it is God set up, a, God could have set up a world where he always gets his way, where everybody does what he wants. But God ultimately is getting his way and then he chose a world where love is possible, where love is a choice. Right, 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 but right. then that also means that you can choose against God and you can choose against God eternally. And yes. that yeah. is mm-hmm. heartbreaking for God. We're going to see that when we get to the flood, that God is motivated by grief, not anger, uh, that his, that what was very good is no longer 
very good. And, uh, but that doesn't threaten the holiness of God when we say, but God willingly did that. It's like having a child and saying, well, bringing this child into the world, I hope for all the good things for them. I will yeah. do my very best to shape them and shape them in the way of Jesus, to teach them to be a loving, kind human being. And the truth is, but they still have the power to choose against me, to choose against the good. And that's that's part of yeah. what it means to love someone. And when you try to take all their freedom away, you might get them to do what you want, but you don't have the relationship that you want. And so God has chosen a relational world because God is a relational God, and that doesn't threaten the sovereignty of God, not for me, yeah. uh, but it does for some people. Well, it's a, they're a similar camp to what we talked about last week with like biblical literalists and that like either all scripture is literal or it's all a lie. Right. Or, and then in this camp, it's either God is all powerful or he's completely powerless. Like there's no, there's no in between, there's no nuance to that. And I don't think that that's how it works. So, uh, nope. nu nu nuance, I think matters. Not so, what we hold here at the well, yeah. at least. Nope. Uh, all right. So this, this next question, this is a great question. They said, am I right to see the link to the Trinity in the way Genesis describes the beginning of male and female from one human? It wasn't good for the human to be alone. And so the Two, or so one became two and it was good in the same way the Trinity finds community within one being. So uh, how do you, our do you resident Trinity expert, yeah, someone yeah. at this table has written books on the yeah. Trinity and it's not me <laughs> or me or me. <laughs> I think that male and female humanity and that complementarity to use that word does that community does reflect uh, the community of God in some way in in a very, imperfect very imprecise way because i don't i don't want to read that back into god like yeah. and the fact that you know that the three persons of the trinity have always coexisted pre-existed so um so i don't i think the threeness of god and the oneness of god the threeness comes from the oneness in the same sense and at the same time as the oneness comes from the three whereas in this one the human male and female come from the one humanity. The, yeah. And so that's a difference there. I don't think that like there was one solo God and then eventually he became the father was him. like, now I'm, I'm going to have a son. The, the orthodox view of it is that the father has eternally been the father because the son has eternally been the son. There was never a moment when there wasn't, you know, yeah. the son or the father and the Holy Spirit. So, so mm -hmm. what you're saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, is that there's a distinction between, you know, humanity uh, being a singularity and then, you know, a singular Adam. And then we see Ish and Isha uh, that in that way, that's not like God because God has eternally been three in one. However, we would also say that there is some reflection of the Trinity yeah. in this because yes. we're made in mm -hmm. the image of this communal God. And so, of course, when we're made, when we're image bearers, God would say it's not good for you to be alone because that is not how we're designed. It's not how we will thrive. It's not what we're meant for. So in, in that way, we see the echo of the nature of God. But we talked about this a couple weeks ago that God couldn't Revealing the fullness of the Trinity, the full nature of God in a in a polytheistic world wouldn't wouldn't make a lot of sense. Like yeah. monothe monotheism was totally radical at that yeah. time, and God had to start as one, mm -hmm. and eventually began to unfold the true nature of God as we went. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the ancients well would not have understood 
that to be like a metaphor for the Trinity or in, in that understanding, I think, right? I don't think so. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. but the relational God, I yeah. think that's where they would see being made in the image of God and the importance of relationship, that seed is planted there. Yeah. But yeah, the fullness of God is not revealed in this moment, I wouldn't yeah. say. And I would say too, like like you said, Mary, I think that's a perfect way to say it, that it's an echo of this thing mm-hmm. because as the like, resident artists, there are... There are things that, like, like I believe that your your art is a reflection of the artist, and that there are things that I remember, like writing songs that people would go, "Oh, when you said this, and the way it connected to that thing, like I got that." And I'm yeah. going, "Like I did not mean to do that, <laughs> but yes, that it, but it's also true." And so I think in seeing that, like, there's there are a lot of connections and and those echoes that you can see throughout Scripture mm-hmm. that may they weren't even the point, but they are in their own way of being a reflection of the creator, yeah. a cool mm-hmm. and beautiful thing about scripture. So Yeah, it's that trajectory yeah. of revelation. Yeah. Another point along these lines is that, um, you know, the point in Genesis about Ish and Isha coming from the Ha'adam, man and woman, male and female coming from the human, because in Genesis 1 you have Adam, which is humanity, plural, male and female, and then in Genesis 2 it goes to Ha'adam, which is the dirt creature, the human singular, um, who is, you know, we don't know what, if it's a man mm-hmm. or an ambiguous human, um, male and or female kind of thing, not female, but it, it somehow includes both. Um, but the point is that male and female humanity both come from the same humanity, which is contrasted to the pagan myths of the time, yeah. where male and female humanity, um, like you see in Plato and Greek and Persian thought, where they're, they're essentially two different humanities. That one is inferior to the other. One is inferior to the other, and they were always meant to be they're, you know, stuck together. They want to come back together because they used to be one like two persons that were stuck together, like four arms, four legs, and then the gods split them up. But ultimately, they're because they're, even though they're stuck together, they're two separate humanities because they're two separate uh, persons before male and female were divided. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. but there's so I, you've kind of, in a way, answered a bit of this next question they'd asked if if the original Jewish readers would have understood that Adam in chapter one was not gendered or intended to mean specifically male. Um, but they said, Steve, you used the term complementary a couple of times when referencing both male and female. And so they, th- this person is asking, they said, is your use of that term tied to the theology of complementarianism versus egalitarianism? Hmm. Well, let me take the first part of it first. As I'm reading the question now, it has Adam in quotes, capital A. So like the, the, um, proper name for the uh-huh. man person, Adam, yeah. for the person Adam. Yeah. The Jewish readers would have understood in chapter one, even though it's the same Hebrew word, pronounced the same, they didn't have capital letters back then, yeah. but they, the word means humanity, yeah. um, or more literally like you know, dirt creature is what humanity literally means. But so, and they would have totally understood since in the verse that it's used, it says male and female, plural, them, so they, they definitely would have understood that they're not at that point talking about the individual man, Adam. And I think what they're, what they're actually wondering is then when you get to chapter 2, when it says Ha-Adam, that's when it gets more confusing. At what point 
do you have the human and then at one point do you have Adam? And a lot of us grew up thinking like, well, it just starts with God made Adam. Adam. The man yeah. the Adam. Man, yeah. 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 But yeah. But it's they would have actually understood that God made the human. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Where it gets tricky though is in patriarchal societies, the man is synonymous with human and woman is not. But mm. we read scripture to believe that men and women are synonymous with human. So which way are we taking it and how would the original hearers have taken it? They Hearers could have gone either direction, but I believe that the way we should hear it is a certain direction. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I think what we see is something very distinct happening in Genesis 2 where we do have Ha'adam which is you know this more like general human term mm-hmm. just like you know you brought this up Steve I brought this up before in other other messages we're we're talking about anthropos Jesus being you know the the anthropos of God and the the um the, the, son, the of, son of the son, son of anthropos, of anthropos. Mm-hmm. and you know, which is humanity not man mm-hmm. Uh, and so here we see there's this general humanity term, and then but our Bibles translate it man, right, so, yeah. right. But then we see in the Hebrew that when the ha adam is split, there is ish and isha, and that's mm-hmm. you know um, Phyllis Tribble has a great thing about this, and she talks about there is no ish without isha, there is no man without woman, that they, they don't exist, man didn't exist before woman existed, and the Hebrew so. Mm-hmm careful about that, that I think while anyone could have read that differently, I think sitting here now, we can see that there's there's something very different happening in this creation narrative where there's a common humanity between men and women, and somehow the relationship between the two is where Ish and Isha exist. So there wasn't Ish before Isha. There was not male before female, and that's so important, and we miss that in our English translations over yeah. and over again. Yeah, we think we we think that that man as in male is created in Genesis two seven, but the the Ish isn't created until Genesis two twenty one right. after they're split, and then Isha is in two twenty two. Yes, and we probably should talk about the splitting because people are like, well, wait, wasn't Eve made from a rib? And I talked about the Hebrew word Selah, which means side, it means the whole side, and in, in the Hebrew Bible and in ancient Hebrew scripture. And uh, so it's actually this picture of being split, split from, down the middle. from head mm-hmm. to toe. And then God heals the Ha-Adam and forms Ish and then takes the, the side that was removed and forms Isha. Yeah, and that's just mm-hmm. something so profound in yeah. this Genesis. So many implications. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and wonderful. I think that was mind-blowing for people this yeah. week. Just... What? I'd always heard that it was the rib, and yeah, like, that's Adam was School teacher told me. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then that brings us into you know this question goes of like is this about complementarianism? And we we were asked another question about um, you know what does the word helper refer to? You know when they're talking about Eve as a suitable helper, and you know d- that's often been framed as women should play a supportive role. And I think this is where we have to come back to. This isn't about complementarianism because complementarianism complementarianism is far more in line actually with this platonic and this Babylonian and this way of, because in, in, uh, in Jesus's time, they would say that female, females were an inferior humanity 
to, mm-hmm. to men. In the Babylonian time, they would say females were inferior humanity to men. But that's actually not what's happening in this Genesis story. That word helper is is used more often about God yeah. than women in scripture. And so would we say God here is your personal assistant here to help support your ambition? No, I mean, it, it actually means rescuer, savior, protector. It's a, it's an, it's a word about strength, not mm-hmm. about servitude. It's and, only the only yeah. other times it's used in scripture is when God saves mm-hmm. Israel or is or Israel is, is relying, on an, relying on an ally for military rescue. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this is not a picture of women are meant to then like suit Adam's needs. You know, that is not what this is. And that suitable. It's this like unseen, you know, like this is something I haven't. It's new. It's unique. And so for for Adam, for Ish. The Isha is the is the helper to is necessary to rescue him so that they might co-labor together and co-bear this proclamation that God has given them, this command to be fruitful and multiply, yeah. to therefore to to um, steward all of creation. Adam could not do that by himself. Mm-hmm. That that he needed this rescuer, this protector, this uh, co-laborer with him. So it's a, actually this mind-blowing picture that is totally Mm countercultural to even nobody talks about it and it's right there and it's so wild because it's in the middle of a patriarchal society which we are still like you know i love when they're like what is it tuesdays if we're overthrowing the patriarchy have you seen those those uh t-shirts like we're still talking about this and that it's there in our scripture is so remarkable that shows me it is inspired by the holy spirit Mm. because we wouldn't write that. Humans mm-hmm. don't write that because they didn't live it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that. Yeah, I don't want to write that because mm-hmm. then, like, well, then how am I going to get them to serve me? Like, that's, <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Nice, <laughs> real nice. Yeah. But while I did say that, um, you know, it's very clear in Genesis that male and female are complementary. Yeah. No, I don't mean that in the modern complementarian debate. Framework, I mean, work. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I think egalitarianism is far more just prevalent in this again totally crazy that it that it would be there that that word would be used that the common humanity would be highlighted this just doesn't make a lot of sense and both egalitarians and complementarians believe in the complementariness of male and female maybe with a few extreme exceptions but yeah 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 Mm -hmm. All right, so this is uh, this is our last question, and this is a this is a really good one because uh, this is something that I know a lot of people I had talked to on Sunday were like, I've never thought about this, I never yeah. understood this this way. Mm-hmm. Um, so Steve, you mentioned that there is room for those who do not fit neatly into either male or female, and then like you you listed out those those archetypes uh, in the Genesis story. So like we have day and night. And mm. then you said there, there is this thing that doesn't fit neatly in there. And we have those hours of dusk and dawn that are kind of, they're, they're not in that same thing. And so in the same way with male and female, there are those that don't fit neatly in. And so this person asked, are there other passages in scripture that would agree with that? And how should the church think about gender in light of the current cultural shift? Mm. I'll let you guys Ooh. take the last part. Um, I'll just um, maybe sum up. What I, where I was going yeah. with the archetypes. Um, I saw, I think we have five in the creation accounts, and which is, um, you know, God orders day and night. And they're really, day and night is, you know, they're two parts of one whole. They, mm-hmm. You know, they complement each other and they define each other. 
but they also are more than the sum of their parts. They, they create ambiguous in-between categories like dusk and dawn. And then you have sky and earth, same thing. You have, well, what about the animals like birds? And what about like mountaintops and things like that? Mm -hmm. And all these things end up being some of our, our favorite parts of creation, which is interesting, yeah. or favorite times of day. And then you have land and sea. So you have in-between animals and that. You have beaches and estuaries and things like that, which we love. And then work and rest was the fourth one. And um, you know you have even in between categories there like worship and um, you know uh, vocation, all kinds of just amazing things that that come when the two come together, mm -hmm. where it's not really clearly one or the other. And then the tricky one is of course male and female. And then I talked about the easiest example, which is people who are born biologically intersex, where they have yeah. maybe extra X chromosomes or Y chromosomes, extra sex chromosomes, or maybe they have genes from those sex chromosomes that are somehow transposed onto one of their regular chromosomes. And so we know those people exist. And then we know that Jesus talked about them yeah. and made room for them. So yeah, yeah I mean, the example of eunuchs. Yeah. Uh, Matthew 19. And born and mm -hmm. Yeah. Matthew 19 uh, verse 12 for some are eunuchs because they were born that way. Others have been made eunuchs and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. Um, and so they they talk about like there's choice, there's birth, and then there's that sometimes the choice has been made for you. Uh, and I think what's tricky about this is the conversation about gender in our society has radically shifted. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, recently, yeah, very recently, because you know three of us at this table are in our forties, right? And then there's Matt; he's a yeah, little baby, baby over there in his thirties. <laughs> uh, but growing up, I mean. So, and I have a daughter who's 12. Growing up in, you know, those of us who are in our 40s, like we, no one talked about sexual orientation. It was not, it was not a discussion. And then it eventually moved to like sexual preference, right? That was the language where like maybe you're making a choice. And th then they had to do biological studies on like maybe people aren't making choices. No one talked about being transgendered. You know, like there was words like transvestite, but that was like people who dressed up yeah. Like in it, mm -hmm. of the other gender, but it was more like drag queen stuff rather than you know gender identity. And now gender, like for us, gender was about biology, and now it's moved a little bit more into like psychology. psychology. And so the the conversation shifted. And so I just want to be really sensitive here. One to say we're not going to be able to cover this in full. It's a much bigger conversation than what time allots for here and none of us are experts and we're learning as we go yeah, because for sure yeah you know i know like for my daughter this is what they talk about you know and now there's different flags and there's different ways to identify yourself and it's very important and i think some of that is good in that people are actually able to express what's true and some of it is not good because it's become an idol where this yeah. is how i define myself and i'm the authority on myself and i think both of those are true what i think Steve allows for is there have always been those who don't classically fit into these two categories always. Of, of male and female, even in biblical times. And what we see in scripture is movement around this because in Deuteronomy 23, we are told like no eunuch shall enter the temple. Like absolutely not. You, right. you are defiled and you have no place there. You're, that's a holy ground. And, but then we see in Isaiah 56, the promise that 
they will enter the temple. There will be a place for them there that they will have a greater future. And then we see in Acts Mm -hmm. chapter eight, one of my favorite passages where he, you know, we have a eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch who's reading Isaiah and he's right before this pat, this promise. Like he, the passage he's reading is right before this promise. And Philip who's talking to him would have known this promise. And we see it fulfilled that here is this person who was told they were excluded. And what, when he says, what should prevent me from being baptized? And Philip says, absolutely nothing. nothing, Let's go. Like, let's do it. And so I think there's movement within scripture around uh, embracing those who have been considered a sexual other. And they're still part of the same common humanity. Yes. That their humanity is not gone and God has room for them in the church and in his kingdom. And those now, again, the conversation around gender and sexuality, the cultural conversation, I think there, it, it is steeped in sin, but not because it's like these behaviors are bad, but sin being, I have curved in on myself and now it's, it's my own wisdom mm-hmm. that's, that's determining things. And I think that is problematic. I really do. But the church, if we draw the line at, unless you fit neatly into these two categories and you are attracted to the people that we tell you you're supposed to be attracted to and you fit this script that we tell you you have no place here, we have pushed away from the table. And we're not yeah. able to offer any wisdom or insight because we're, we're just seen as close-minded and bigoted. Yeah. And we're not willing to learn. We're not willing to hear people's experience. And I think this, we, the Ethiopian eunuch, that story is a story for us today, Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. now in the church to say, God is pushing our boundaries as to who he's including. And, and even it looks like God's changed his mind. You know, like that's what it looks like. If you, if you read it like so literally, instead of there is this promise and this projection of, um, of inclusion and uh, transformation. And, you know, the Ethiopian eunuch wasn't going to stop being a eunuch. He wasn't miraculously healed from that. And we don't know if it was by choice, if it was by birth. So I I think while we might feel offended, we have to step back and say there's room for this in Scripture. There There is is room for it in Scripture. There is room. Yeah, and we need to see the common humanity of those. And we are learning wild things about genetics. Like I just saw a whole video on like the X chrome. We always thought it was X and Y or X and X. And they're like, that's not really the thing anymore. It's a little more complicated. It's more complicated mm-hmm. than that. And you're like, Oh, I, you know, just our understanding of mm-hmm. humanity and what makes us, what makes our gender, um, yeah. even a factor is growing and we have to be open mm-hmm. to that. The other thing I said was that we actually don't know whether all of these, um, and every category is different, but just take intersex, for example. Um, we don't know if it's in God's intended creation, or if it's just a result of the fall where uh-huh. everybody is born with imperfect genetics. We yeah. don't know, but even if we don't know, there's still inclusion that can yeah, happen. You said, not right, knowing should what inspire you said right humility. That, I was going to say, I, I just pulled it up Sorry, because I, it felt mm-hmm. like a, that was a for us as a church, a culture-setting mm-hmm. moment. And what you said is, you know, we don't quite know for sure if this is God's created intention or maybe a result of the fall. But even then, Jesus makes room for people who don't feel like they fit in traditional categories of male and female. And we should do the same. Amen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amen. So, you know, like that. And that was it. Like that's, you know, that's yeah. our episode. But there it is. That's mm-hmm. that was a, for us as a church, a culture setting moment of saying, hey, you may not understand it and you don't have to understand it to treat these people the way that Jesus has called us to. 
and mm-hmm. that is where we that's where we rest is yeah. in that place there. And mm-hmm. and I know for myself because this is like I said, I'm 42, I'll be 43 next month. So like my journey in this has I am being pushed. Like having mm-hmm. a middle schooler, I am being pushed around this like wait, what what are the new categories and who's what and what does that mean? Um but I have I I know a young a young girl around Imogen's age who would consider herself Wait, what, what's, the, what's the right term? Steve, help me out. Um, not non-binary. Non-binary. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, what's the term? Um, non-binary. And before, like, if you were to ask me, like, what's non-binary? I'd be like, I, I don't really understand what that is. But I know this this child. And if anyone is non-binary, I'm like, yeah, they've never fit in either category. Mm-hmm. Like, never been fully tomboy, which is the word we use growing up, and never been fully, you know, feminine girl. Like, just doesn't quite. Fit. And I think, you know what, this child is being raised to love Jesus. This child is compassionate and loving. Mm-hmm. And if this helps them understand more of how they feel in their body, I'm growing to go, you know what, there's room for you here. There's room for you in the kingdom. Yeah. There's room for you in the story of Jesus. And you don't have to fit in one category or the other in order to participate in the kingdom of God. And I'm, I'm being honest here. I've been stretched with this. It's not like I'm just like, I'm naturally inclusive. I'm like, some of this stuff feels real weird and I'm learning and I don't know what to do yeah. with all of it. But the more I know people, yeah. the, the more I see God at work in people's lives. And that doesn't mean that we condone all of the cultural conversation around gender and sure. sexuality. Yeah, but culture if, is is in a similar way of we of yeah. all the other categories we've been talking about. Either everything should be exactly accepted, yeah. all the things that you want, or or you reject mm, it all, and yeah. you're like, I don't know. It's a dialogue, and there are yeah. some things that the culture can teach us as followers of Jesus, and there are things that we have to bring to the culture. There's wisdom that we have to bring to the culture, or at least a cultural conversation. And I think this conversation around gender, I mean, it feels like this third rail that we're not allowed to touch, but the truth is this this next generation, they need us to be thinking about it and yes, thinking wisely about it and helping mm-hmm. them sort it out. And if we refuse to listen to them and learn from them and hear what they are struggling with, we've we've given them, we've said your faith is not important to yep. me yeah. because your reality is not important to me. Yeah, and in the continuation of the story, Meredith, that you brought up from Acts... <laughs> Eight. I mean, we see like the fruit of this approach. You know, when the eunuch asked Philip, and again, we don't know why this man was a eunuch. We don't know. We're not told. You know, we're told he was part of a royal court, so we could maybe make assumptions about the fact that he was probably made a eunuch, but we don't know. And so that alone should should inspire humility, like I say, but he asks, is there anything that prevents me from being baptized? Do I have to, you know, essentially, do I have to make any changes about myself? And the answer is absolutely not. And the result of that is that he was baptized. He came to faith. Yeah. So, And the w- tradition is that he went back and like, the church in Ethiopia, the African church, started with this, with this man. man. Like, yeah. that is incredible. That's right. incredible. That's incredible. And so I'll tell you what we won't see if we are gatekeepers and mm-hmm. if we draw hard lines in the sand and do not welcome all people into our midst. We will not see baptisms. We will not see people come to faith and live the yeah. abundant life. We will absolutely won't yeah. see it. We, we won't see them more and more transformed into no. the person of Jesus. Yeah. You no. know, and that's... I just, I think this hard line that we're taking doesn't line up with 
the new science that we're learning, the new reality of genetics that we're like, oh, it's way more complicated, and people's experience. And the truth is, we have to start with people's experience and point them towards Jesus. But these these categories of it's either male or, or female, and like, can you define a woman? Like, I, you know, it's just it's, not helpful. It's become tied more to our politics than yes. it has to our faith. Yeah. yeah, one side wants to erase male and female. The other side just wants to solidify them and exclude yeah. others. And, yeah. There's yeah. room for everybody. There is. Well, there you go. We got a that little feisty yeah. there. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> so take that and join us again next week when we talk about sin because it's just going to continue to be fun. It gets uh, a whole lot worse yeah so yeah if you've got you know if this brought up even more questions for you we would love for you to again join the conversation text nine four zero 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 any questions that you have we love reading these questions we love that you're continuing to dig in uh follow us on youtube facebook tw.church teaching to to stay uh current with all of our messages so you can kind of get an idea of where we're going and then join us again next week because we need to talk